1. Tranquility Base, Blake Ridge, Atlantic Ocean, Mid-April Stephen Hunt sat on the roof of the Seakeeper's conning tower, watching the sun inch over the rim of the world. The sky was ashen, and tattered clouds fleeted across a purple-orange horizon. A stiff breeze, redolent of gasoline and sea rot, pushed over the base, and weak five-foot waves rolled across the undulating sea. The seakeeper shifted and swayed, and mooring lines tightened and squeaked. Hunt hardly noticed the constant motion, the listing and bobbing and rocking. His legs were springs, always adjusting, never rigid or still. He hadn't stepped on land in over a year, and when he did, it would be like walking in quicksand. Something clanged below, most likely Rooster doing his morning duties. Hunt was an early riser, always had been, but rarely did he beat Rooster. His first mate prided himself on getting a jump on the day, and Hunt didn't know when the skinny, red-haired man found time to sleep. Light knifed through the fading darkness off the starboard bow as someone came awake on Destiny's Peace, the 156-foot research vessel operated by the International Consortium for the Preservation of Earth's Oceans. The ship was moored in front of the seakeeper, and along with the venture, a converted fishing trawler owned and operated by the College of Marine Biology and Atmospheric Science at UC San Diego, the three vessels made up the northern inner core of Tranquility Base. Each ship connected to the flotilla had their bow into the wind, and a series of anchors and dynamic positioning systems kept the base stationary at the edge of the abyss, where the water was 400 feet deep. The base name had been Sunwa's idea. Just like him, she'd come because the delicate balance in the mid-Atlantic Rift Valley had been disturbed, causing massive marine die-offs. Scientists from around the world had come to the drop-off to investigate and never left. Thanks to Hunt and others, the base's ongoing operations were funded by private foundations, grants, the Navy and Coast Guard, as well as tourist dollars of eco-travelers looking for the ultimate eco-vacation. Hunt had been against allowing tourists on site, but money was money, and it was difficult convincing landlocked suits there was a threat to their shrimp cocktails that they couldn't see or touch. Hunt shifted position and stretched, his legs dangling over the edge of the conning tower roof, the gangway that ran around the bridge 15 feet below. As half-light leaked across the Atlantic, the hodgepodge of boats, floating platforms, docks, and shipping containers came to life as it materialized from the night gloom. Hunt smiled. He'd been the first to arrive on scene when the drones discovered the first die-off of Atlantic spadefish, and he took pride in being a founding member of Tranquility Base. Footsteps clinked and clanged on the metal deck below. Hunt, I see the soles of your sneakers. What the hell are you doing up there? The first mate stared up at Hunt through the early morning dusk. Hunt pushed off with his hands and dropped to the gangway. He landed with a crash and steadied himself, gripping the railing and waiting for the pain in his knees to subside. Rooster held out a mug of coffee, and Hunt took it eagerly. He sipped, relishing the bitter burn, the heat of the steam on his cheeks, warmth seeping through his chilled hands. It had been a cold winter out on the Atlantic, though the warmer weather brought bigger issues. Thanks, Hunt said. They'd been lucky the prior year, and the base hadn't been hit by any of the season's numerous hurricanes and tropical storms. Some ships detached from the flotilla, and some headed to port for the winter. But in early spring, it brought more vessels than had left. 
The base camp was 17 months old and going strong, though the weather reports for the coming storm season were dire. Hurricane season was on the way, and two trouble-free years in a row was too much to ask. They had to get their work done, figure out what was killing the sea life, and get out of Dodge before Tranquility Base was crushed by the Atlantic. Brewster nodded, but said nothing. He leaned against the bulkhead railing and lit a hand-rolled burner. Tobacco was harder to come by on base than bullets, and it was more in demand. Fire presented all types of additional dangers, and the base tended to follow what was known as ship's rule. Problem was, every boat felt their rules were the most important. When Navy personnel were around, they took charge of security, but there was no real rule of law on Tranquility Base. It was an unwritten rule that guns weren't allowed, except for military personnel. Hunt knew nobody abided by this rule. He himself had a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun under his rack with two boxes of shells, and he knew others were equipped better. So far, there hadn't been any major incidents other than late-night drunken fights, but being on the station was like being in space. Every action had to be considered and planned for. Otherwise, you'd end up floating alone in the middle of nowhere with no food or water. What's the plan for today? Rooster said. He leaned over the railing and examined the sea 30 feet below. Looks a little rough. Long-range outlook is for a rolling swell, four to six feet by midday. You still gonna go down? Hunt walked around to the rear of the conning tower, sipping his coffee, the gangway gently rolling and pitching beneath his feet. Something splashed in the moon pool, a football field-sized square of open ocean at the center of Tranquility Base. Across the way to the south, Lights were blinking on throughout Cheapside, the small commerce center made up of shipping containers on the rear deck of a 356-foot container ship that served as the southern border of the base. To the east, the rockhounds manned the Ms. Devlin, a converted oil drilling vessel that took core samples from deep within the ocean's crust. The Ms. Devlin had the most current dynamic positioning system, and it served as the station's forward anchor. Go get her ready, Hunt said. Drop in is at 0900. The Starfish 3 sat on the aft deck. The old submersible looked like a traditional submarine, rust stains running down the sides of the sub from the hull's rivets. The vessel had traditional manual rudder steering, but Hunt had the submersible recommissioned, so while it looked ancient, its systems were relatively up to date. Rooster sighed, clearly not the answer he'd been looking for. Aye, aye, he said. He climbed down the access ladder and disappeared into the bridge. Another clang rang out from below. Couldn't be Rooster. He scanned the moon pool, but saw nothing unusual. Seawater popped and slapped against the sea keeper, and Hunt patted the ship's hand railing. The sea keeper was Hunt's baby, and all he had in the world. It was his home. Constructed by binder ship building and commissioned the Harper in 1982, the ship was first named after the admiral who had obtained the funding for the vessel. The Harper was a research vessel for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration before being sold to the University of Puerto Rico, where it served for more than 10 years. Hunt discovered the 127-foot ship on a dive trip, and it purchased the mothballed vessel along with its tender with the inheritance left by his famous father, Admiral Javier Hunt. It had a deep V-hull, with a forward three-story conning tower and a flat-aft deck where the Starfish Three and Keeper's Kid, the ship's 19-foot Boston Whaler tender, 
waited to be lifted into the sea by the 10-ton boom arm folded along the starboard gunwale. Despite the vessel being in perfect working order, as one of the inner ships of Tranquility Base, the seakeeper hadn't moved in over a year, though Hunt started the engines periodically to charge the batteries and keep the 1250 SHP engine working properly. A splash, and light glinted off something in the moon pool. Dusk was fading, and lights filled portholes and windows. Hunt climbed down to main deck, finishing his coffee and leaving the empty mug on the gunwale to be retrieved later. A hiss echoed over the water, and a cloud of mist filled the deck below as Rooster purged and tested the release valves on the Starfish 3's ballast tanks, getting the sub ready for the sample-collecting dive he and Sunwa had planned. Plop, bubbles popping. Plop, water splashing. More shining objects appeared in the moon pool, and the scent of rot and decay chased away Hunt's morning hunger. He strained to see what was in the water, but as the dusk of morning faded, shadows danced and writhed over the sea. A scraping sound, like a giant cockroach scuttling over metal, rose above the slosh and pop of the ocean. Hunt looked to Rooster, but if his first mate heard the sound, he didn't let on. He saw the man's red hair bobbing and swaying as he worked on the Starfish 3. Hunt rubbed his eyes. A shadow moved across the bow, and he hurried along the gunwale, his nerves suddenly taking notice and dancing on his spine. Seagulls screeched and cawed, and the thump and rattle of a boat engine filled the silence. When he reached the bow, there was nothing to see except the rising sun and a trail of seawater that lit across the deck and over the port gunwale. Hunt peered over the side the moon pool roiling and undulating like a bathtub. Something was in the water. Many things. The moon pool was calmer than the open ocean because it was surrounded by the flotilla on four sides, and this proved useful when launching submersibles, tenders, and dive parties. It also served as a training site for tourists and new scientists looking to learn what it meant to be 378 nautical miles offshore at the edge of the Blake Plateau, where the seafloor plummets several thousand feet to the abyssal plain and challenger deep. Hunt had been in the trench once, and it was an experience he wanted to forget. He wasn't claustrophobic, but who wouldn't get the sweats 30,000 feet below the surface with eight tons of pressure per square inch waiting to crush you to a pebble? If Tranquility Base was a space station, and the ocean, space, the trench was another galaxy. Its proximity did help when it came to getting funding. The Navy had several ongoing missions in the trench, and naval scientists often used Tranquility Base as their jump-off point. These missions put a strain on the station's everyday operations, and there were often complaints by tourists and scientists who had limited time to spend on the base. Hunt was always the voice of reason, the ex-military man who knew what it meant to keep a station like Tranquility Base running. Hunt also understood that without the Navy's support, the station would have been forced to disperse months ago. The rank stench got worse, and Hunt headed aft. Hunt, you need to see this, Rooster yelled. Hunt rolled his shoulders and cracked his knuckles. He slid down the ladder to main deck, but Rooster was gone. Rooster, where are you? Nothing. More scraping, a clicking sound, then a series of squeaks and hisses. Rooster? Hunt called. Down here, boss. Hunt looked over the starboard gunnel. Rooster stood on the small dive platform attached to the seakeeper. Hunt had made the dock from fouled water containers, and it provided easy access to the moon pool, regardless of sea conditions, 
When he arrived at Rooster's side, Hunt knelt on the floating dock as it listed and yawed, staring out across the moon pool. The ocean was filled with dead fish, their gills and eyes shining in the early morning light. Hunt sighed. We need to wake Sunwa. Sunwa. 